When is the last time you, thanks Jeff, uh, have changed your mind about something? Okay, big, small. When's the last time you thought one way and then something happened and then you thought a different way? Uh, some stupid examples from my life. I, growing up, could not stand the taste of olives. Just, do we have any olive uh, haters in the house? Wow, that's a <laughs> Just in general, like you like green ones or black ones better or all of them? You hate all of them. Hey. Well, the goal of our time together today is for me to get you. <laughs> but growing up, I, uh, I could not stand olives. And uh, same with black coffee. You guys see me nursing a black coffee every Sunday morning, spilling it all over the place because I've got no lid on this thing. Uh, Couldn't do that. And then uh, 2016, 17, Amanda and I did something called Whole30 for the first time. And Whole30 is where you, it's like meats and fruits and vegetables. There's no grains, no any of that stuff. You do it for 30 days. And uh, I realized at that point that I was like, oh, I... If I want to eat something, I'm going to have to change my opinions on food. And for like, I mean, I think the last three weeks, sometimes I'll just get in with a, a lunch groove. For the last three weeks for, for lunch, I've had a whole bell pepper, typically red, um, like a half a cup, maybe three quarters of a cup, depending on the day, maybe a full cup of uh, salami, and then a half can of black olives. Just, it's a, oh, you got to, here's the thing you have to do, though. There's a little pro tip for you. You have, to, you have to take the salami slice and you grab an olive so you get that in one bite and then you bite off half of a pepper slice. Red is the sweetest. Thank me later. Uh, but I used to hate them and then uh, used to love it. Used to hate black coffee and realized I was addicted to the creamer and uh, now that's all I drink. Another one that's a stupid example. Um, Birkenstocks. Birkenstocks. I used, if you're a Birkenstock wearer, I'm going to need to ask forgiveness. I used to make fun of you. I, I did. I said, those things look stupid. Uh, what are you doing here? And then I got a pair and I went, oh, I get it. Maybe it's that I'm older. There's arch support. They're, they're firm but comfortable. I, what was I thinking? I changed my opinion on that. I'd like to think Although I hold deeply rooted opinions, I'd like to think that I uh, am malleable enough to change my mind on things. Um, but let me take it a step further, but beyond olives and Birkenstocks. Um, when is the last time you allowed God to change your mind on something? When's the last time you allowed God to change your mind on something? Maybe... You have some deeply held, like, philosophies of ministry. But what I mean by that is, like, this is what church should look like. When I come to church, when I'm a part of the church, when I participate in church, this is what it should look like. Uh, Maybe I I don't want to associate with that church because they sing those songs or or maybe this is when we come into this space in the in the Sunday gathering or the Saturday night gathering whatever it looks like this is what the this is how the time should be used or or this is how when when someone opens up God's word this is how they should teach the Bible or this is what small groups should look like when's the last time you've changed your opinion on something like that 
Now, let me take it a step further, because philosophy of ministry, sure, we can have different opinions. When is the last time you have allowed God to change your theology? To change your view of him? When's the last time you have allowed, uh, allowed God to go, hey, maybe that stuff that's seated deep down in your heart that you've always held, maybe it's not completely off, but maybe it's not quite totally exactly right, and let's just shift it so you can get a bigger view of who I am. Start to get really squeamish and really, because we, what we do in the context that we live, and I think there's some good attributes of it, but we hold firm beliefs as a virtue that we go, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is who God is and this is how life works and I know it and I'm never gonna change it and I'm gonna dig my heels in even if the Holy Spirit is stirring and you go, I, this, and, and, and when someone does that, we go, oh, I didn't know they had so much resolve in them. Good on them. But here's what I believe firmly. As long as you and I live, we are going to be undergoing a process that is called sanctification. Sanctification is the process of being formed and molded and shaped both in heart, mind, spirit, uh, soul, to look more like the image of God, to, to, to come back into the created intent, because you and I, all of us were created in God's image, and so none of us, I don't want to break anyone's heart this morning, but none of us in this room are God. And if you are, let me know, because that would change some things. Uh, but none of us in this room are God. And so there is some inherent mysteries about the divine, about the creator of the universe, that we just will never, we will never, as long as we live, be able to have a completely, totally, wholly and fully buttoned up theology of this is exactly who God is, and this is how he works. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't attempt to like have some beliefs and, and stand for something and go, no, this is, this is I, at this point, this is who I, I, God has revealed himself to be, and this is how I understand the world to work and all of that stuff. But I don't think necessarily uh, holding firm and being unwilling to change is necessarily the virtue that we think it is, because there's just some things that are unknowable. Like God is knowable, but at the same time mysterious. So what does that look like to engage with that God? Well, today in Acts 10, we're going to, just in the, in the few moments we have remaining, we're going to look at the story of Peter. And Peter is someone who, in the same way, was very much willing and ready to dig his heels in at a moment's notice and go, no, this is who you are, God. This is, Jesus, this is what your redemption is going to look like. Uh, and uh, this was a moment of him encountering the Spirit of God and being molded and shaped so that his uh, worldview was transformed. But not only that, but the gospel went forth in really, really profound ways. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip around a little bit just for time, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, and we'll set the stage with this. Acts chapter 10, we'll start in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Here's what it means by God-fearing. By God-fearing, it means he was a Gentile, so not of Jewish 
descent or origin. He was outside of the family of Israel, God's chosen people. But he really, he was on board with Yahweh. He was on board with the God uh, that was Israel's God. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm on board with that. I'm not going to do the whole circumcision thing. I'm not going to... Uh, commit myself to the covenant in that way, but I'm going I'm to pray to you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey your commandments. I'm going to do all of that sort of stuff. So he, uh, he was, it says, devout and God-fearing, meaning he took it really, really seriously to follow Yahweh. And one day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, he had gone. To Cornel- he had gone. Cornelius called out two of his servants and devout soldiers, uh, who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them off to Joppa. So Cornelius has this encounter. He sees this vision, and he goes, I don't know what to do, but this is clearly strange enough that I'm going to send for this guy, Simon, that they call Peter. Uh, and so they're gonna, he sends a couple guys to go get them, and simultaneously, simultaneously, Peter has a vision. So about noon the following day, we're in verse 9, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now trance can really, it can slip us up. It's 2023, it's a weird word, it sounds super new agey, uh, I don't know how to engage with it, but here's, what I, here's the point of, uh, of where we're headed. Um, Peter, just like Cornelius, sees this vision. And here's what he sees. He saw heaven open, something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, for those of us who might be new to the party, just uh, some quick backstory. The Old Testament, uh, we've talked about this in weeks past, but the Old Testament is full of uh, ritual and spiritual and and covenantal laws that God gave the people of Israel to set them apart from the nations around them. And this was really important at the time that God did it because uh, he, he said... These nations around you are not honoring me. They're not following me. And in fact, the stuff that they're doing is is, uh, like in opposition to uh, the way of life that I've intended. We're talking like child sacrifices, cannibalism, like stuff that is not the way that leads to life. And God says, I'm going to set you apart. And so I'm going to set these laws that's just different from the people around you. And that is going to uh, make you holy, holy meaning set apart. And you're going to follow these laws as a sign of your set apartness from the world around you. And so when Peter, who is a good Jewish person, comes in contact with this vision that says, go, Peter, kill, eat, have at it, uh, Peter's response is, no. No, surely, Lord. I don't know if in this, in this moment he thinks it's like a test from God of like, is, he gonna, is Peter going to do it? Is he going to break the, the laws that I gave him? 
And, and he goes, no, I've never done anything. I've done everything you've asked me to do to be the set-apart people. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And it says in verse 15, the voice spoke to him a second time and says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. God tells Peter in this moment that, that the stuff we did in the Old Testament served a purpose, but there's a new covenant that we're living under. There's a new covenant. There's a new way to life. And the way, he talks about it at the end of chapter 10, the way to life is Jesus. And so that stuff served a purpose and it was good and it was holy and it was right. And God in this moment invites him into a deeper reality and a shift of some of his theology, some of his philosophy of ministry that we're going to see played out later. Peter's response is, I've never done anything. I've never engaged with stuff outside of Jewish culture or religion. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And God's response is, don't call anything that I've made impure or unclean. And so what happens next? He sees it happen a few more times. He's trying to interpret it. And then the men uh, from Cornelius arrive. And uh, they're like, Peter, are you the guy we're, we're looking for? And he's like, I am him. And so he goes in, and Peter sees a big crowd uh, in, in standing there. And says, then Peter invited, this is verse uh, 23. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. And the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. So this is the men from Cornelius and some who were just hanging out in that area following Jesus already. And the following day arrived, they arrived in Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So Cornelius, expecting them to arrive, gathers a big crowd to hear about the good news of Jesus. And as Peter enters the house, Cornelius met him and he fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he says. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And this is Peter's opening line to the, to the large gathering of people. Large gathering of people outside of the Jewish faith. Large gathering of people who were hungry for the person and the work of Jesus. And he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate and visit with a Gentile. But he says, my mind has been changed. My heart has been changed. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. One of the things that had seeped down into Peter's worldview was that because he was to be set apart, because he followed these Old Testament laws, he was uh, better than, or, or we use the words a lot like holier than thou. And this had seeped down into how Peter interpreted the world around him. And his first response, as he, which is like not a super welcoming way to walk into a room full of people is to go, you know, typically I want to be allowed to do, to do this because of who you guys are as people. But God showed me something. God showed me uh, that his kingdom is really, really big. 
And God has instilled in my heart because of this encounter that I had with the Spirit of God, God has instilled in my heart that maybe not everyone inside of God's kingdom following God faithfully is going to look like me. In fact, maybe they, they're going to have vastly different backgrounds. Maybe their upbringings are just going to be totally different than mine. Maybe they're going to live on another side of the tracks, if you will, but that does not stop them from having a seat at God's table. We talked about this last week with Saul, that not a person on earth that you or I have ever met nor will ever meet is too far out of the grasp of the reach of God's grace. Not a single person. And Peter opens with this. He goes, I, I typically wouldn't associate with you, but God's doing something new in my heart. He's showing me that I, that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. So him and Cornelius have this back and forth. <clears throat> and then in verse 34, uh, Peter begins to speak again. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of the Jews, who's Lord of a special group of people, who's Lord of a particular race, who is Lord of uh, a people of a certain socioeconomic demographic, who, uh, who is Lord of a people who go to a particular school, who is Lord of none of those things, who is Lord of all. Lord of all. We see a pretty dramatic shift here in Acts chapter 10 that, that Peter goes on. And we see this, this arc of transformation that he undergoes. And he starts the story of going, no, God, I'm following your rules. And uh, I'm, I'm living my life by this particular way. And God goes, oh, I'm inviting you into something different. And Peter, which is totally different from the gospel narratives of who Peter is, because the Spirit's working in his life. Peter uh, is humble enough to go, oh, maybe I don't have it all together. Maybe there are some things that I need to reorder or reorient in my life that, that can more fully reflect who God is. <clears throat> but I want to invite us into this conversation uh, this morning. Because the transformation that Peter had to undergo was one of saying that God's table is really, really big. And there's room for everyone at it. This is not a doctrine of uh, total universalism or inclusivity that like just because of the work of Jesus, there's some surrender that needs to take place. But Peter has this realization of uh, it is available to all people, not just Jews. It, uh, this is the work of Jesus is going to the Gentiles, which I'm not ethnically Jewish. I, I'm a recipient of the work that starts here. So do a thought study with me real quick. So we think about the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Close your eyes. Picture with me eternity. 
And I don't mean in the like temporal sense of time, because that will just break your brain if you try and think about how long eternity is. But look around and who is present in eternity with you. I imagine some close friends, probably your family, comes to mind if they're following Jesus. But here's the question that that I've had to reckon with uh, in the past several months. Does your picture of eternity, people milling about, worshiping God, whatever that looks like for you, are the people present a homogenous unit that if you look down at yourself, you could basically just kind of copy and paste the people that are present? Or do you see instead a, a vast and diverse landscape representing every nation, every tribe, every tongue? Representing that the work of God is gone out and continues to go out to our neighbors, but then to the nations, to people who are just different than us in every single way, aside from submitting themselves to the lordship of Jesus. We, uh, this is one of the areas uh, that thought experiments over. There's a lot of eyes closed. This is one of the areas that uh, American Christians, I think maybe specifically, I, I, I don't know other cultures, but I know the, the circles that I run in, one of the areas that we can grow the most is, is the way that we assume that every single one of God's promises, the ways that God's working, the things that God is doing revolves around us. This, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news this morning, but that's just not true. That doesn't take away from the fact that he loves us deeply. And he's, and he's moving, he's working in our midst. We prayed and sang that this morning, but not exclusively. He's not working in our midst to the detriment of those elsewhere. Did you know that? Uh, research shows that by 2050, which if you do the math, is shockingly close 2050, was it 27 years? Someone? Thanks, Jordan. (laughs) By 2050, 75% of the Christian faith, followers of Jesus, 75% are going to be located in the global south. South America, Africa, the Middle East, Asia, not here. We'll pray against this. We're going to work against this, against this as brothers and sisters to establish God's kingdom here to maybe even things out a little bit. We're going to engage with people who are capitalizing on movements of the spirit there. Uh, but it is just misguided for us to assume that the world revolves around us because it doesn't. God's kingdom is really, 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 really big. And it does not revolve around you and it does not revolve around your family, and it doesn't revolve around me. But instead, we get to participate in the good news of it going out to all of these places. Gosh, I just, we, 
one of our prayers, I've said it often, it's hanging in the, in the lobby now, in Vermilion County as it is in heaven. Comes from the, uh, comes from, uh, the Gospels. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the Lord's Prayer. But if our local expression of faith is preparing us for something, then by golly, there ought to be people who are different than us in it. And it sounds scary. It sounds scary because we begin to have the conversation of like, I don't, I like like things like this. I like things when people are kind of like alike me. Uh, it makes things a lot easier. You don't have to have the conversation of how do we do things or who moved my cheese or anything like that. You just like, things become easier, but it's not necessarily a reflection of God's intent. And yes, it's hard when our church, as a local expression of God's kingdom being established in Vermilion County as it is in heaven for eternity and eternity, it is hard to change. It's hard to accept people in who are different than us. Maybe, maybe it is at a complete base level of uh, their skin looks different than us. Maybe you begin to dig a little bit deeper and you go, yeah, their skin looks different than us and their culture is different than ours. Maybe you, you begin to have the conversation that goes a little bit deeper to be like, well, they read this passage of scripture this way and I've always kind of read it that way. Maybe there, there's people that show up in our midst that, um, that just had a completely different upbringing. And you grew up middle class, or, or, and you're like, yeah, this is kind of normal. And maybe we begin to welcome people into our midst that, that, that uh, spend different than us and, and think about money different than us. And maybe, maybe it's a little bit more paycheck to paycheck than, than your family lives. I don't know what it is, but if when you think about eternity, the things that come to mind are a homogenous unit, I think we're just being unfaithful to the invitation to see the beauty and the breadth of God's kingdom. And let me tell you what happens inside of us. Let me tell you what happens inside of us when we begin to say, we're going to make this a really, really big table for, for all of God's people to gather at. We begin to live with a, a deeper sense of humility, which any time I have gone through a process of humbling, it's been hard but I have come out on the other side of it looking more like Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that's the goal. That's the goal. And so, yeah, it'll be some hard conversations of, I don't necessarily like that we sang that song. Or, uh, man, these people just talk different than me and their, their, their background is different. Uh, it, it's it's going to be difficult, but we get to go, you know what? Maybe I put too much stock in that. Maybe it doesn't matter as much as I thought it mattered. Uh, maybe I get to, to loosen up my reins a little bit and go, uh, I don't need to control this, Jesus. I trust that you can. I'll just kind of submit to what you're doing and I'll partner up with it. God's kingdom, God's table is really, really big. And I just, I want us as a church to begin to wrap our heads around what that means for us in our expression 
in our gathering in this place, in our small groups, that, that we can gather with people who are different than us because we have all been united under the banner of the work of Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to do. I'm going to invite Katrina and Sarah. We're going to close out uh, singing about the lordship of Jesus and his kingship and, and how we want to make him reign supreme and let all the other things fade away. But as we do that, um, I want us to just have a little bit of time for contemplation. So uh, draw a circle around yourselves. Focus on God. Now, I want to ask you this as you uh, spend this time in, in focused and in intensive thought on this uh, and ask the Spirit to, to speak to you. Let's take the, the conversation we had earlier a step further. Talk about who is around you in eternity. Who is, who, who is the last person that you expect to see in eternity? For whatever reason, they're different than you. You got some beef between you. Who is the last person that when, you, uh, when your time comes or, or the Lord returns, you cross over into that sacred space and, and Jesus is waiting there and you welcome with open arms. You get just past Jesus and that person's there. And you go, this, this isn't adding up. Take a couple moments and reflect on who is that person for you. And as the Spirit draws that person to mind, then, then take it a step beyond that and ask yourself the question, okay, God loves them as, just as much as he loves me. His work on the cross was for them just as much as it was for me. And I want to establish God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And so what is it that I need to do this week this week specifically, what do I need to do? Is there some sort of process of repentance I need to undergo? Maybe it's a, an entire people group that you have just completely written off from God's grace. Maybe it's an individual person that you need to, to sit down and share God's love with. Maybe you need to, to confess to someone the ways that you've let prejudice or, or hate or division uh, divide you. But ask the Spirit now, what, what is it that I need to do this week to allow my life to more fully reflect your kingdom? So, Spirit of God, we're open to you speaking to us. Lord, forgive us of the ways in which we have uh, actively grabbed bricks and <laughs> rebuilt the dividing walls of hostility that you said in Ephesians have been torn down through your work on the cross. Lord, speak to us now. We want to be sensitive to you. We want to, we want to be molded and shaped to look more like you. So we ask for your forgiveness and, and ask that you'll guide us, that you'll lead us, that you'll point us in the direction that leads to life, uh, that, that we can be a part of your kingdom-establishing work here in Vermilion County as it is in heaven.